0: It is 9.30 on a Sunday morning. Time now for the St. Paul Lutheran Bible Study from St. Paul Lutheran Church in De Pere. Good morning. Good morning. The Lord be with you. And also with you. There we go. Uh, Welcome to Bible Study this morning here at St. Paul's. My name is Jeff Kloa. I teach New Testament at Concordia Seminary. And uh, we continue our study today of the Book of Acts, beginning uh, in, uh, where are we, about verse 12, I think it is, verse 12. A couple of uh, announcements uh, before we open with prayer. Uh, This Thursday is Ascension Day, when we observe the Feast of the Ascension. Uh, There are services here at St. Paul's at 7 p.m. Everyone is invited. Uh, Great music, of course, uh, for Ascension Day. It's at 7 o'clock here. Uh, Second, uh, I will be gone the next two weeks uh, Concordia Seminary we've been doing a class the last four years in Israel and so there's a group of uh, students about 15 I think it is uh, going and uh, so we'll see all the stuff and I'll come back with pictures uh, so, uh, so we leave on Wednesday and come back on June 8th and uh, sometime I'll sleep in there but, but uh, uh, in the meantime uh, we'll have Dr. Jeff Oshwald back again uh, who's the chairman of the Department of Exegetical Theology at the Seminary, and writing the commentary on Acts? So uh, you, you'll be you'll be all set. Uh, and uh, just a brief word of uh, congratulations to our graduates uh, here this last Friday from the Seminary. We only got a little bit wet. We were uh, we you know you had the opening stuff and the speech and blah blah you know and and then. Uh, get ready to start handing out the diplomas and it starts raining and I'm, I'm like how many can I carry into the chapel real fast, but we, we kept it going and not, not too wet. We made it. Anyway, uh, Greg Schaefer, our field worker, is heading out to Davenport, Kansas this uh, Tuesday? Nebraska. Or uh, wherever it is. Nebraska, Nebraska sorry. <laughs> one, of the, one of those places out there. <laughs> and it uh, leaves on Tuesday and installation is in uh, early July. Early June, early June, excellent. Uh, so, Lord's blessings as you go out and speak the word, Greg. Right? Yep. Okay, so uh, let's uh, open with prayer. We'll open with, uh, because today, actually, the whole theme of the book of Acts, of course, is the word. But especially today, uh, preserving the word through uh, servants whom God has chosen. Uh, stanza of hymn 658, Preserve Your Word, O Savior. Let's bow our heads. Preserve your word and preaching, the truth that makes us whole, the mirror of your glory, the power that saves the soul. O may this living water, this dew of heavenly grace, sustain us while here living until we see your face. Amen. So Acts chapter 1. And uh, we, uh, we ended with the ascension last week, verses 9 through 11, focusing on Jesus' uh, uh, bodily ascension and, of course, bodily return. Uh, and now uh, the, the scene shifts, uh, the, the narrative shifts, really, for Acts, on to the apostles. Uh, uh, Jesus is, is gone. And now the apostles are left, uh, you might say, uh, uh, or empowered uh, to do the work that they have been sent to do. And so Luke right away introduces us again to who these guys are and uh, uh, sets up uh, filling in the, uh, the 12th apostle, replacing Judas, and the selection of Matthias at the end, uh, all under the guidance and direction of the Spirit, and again, all in fulfillment of the scriptures, which is a theme we've seen throughout the book of Acts. So uh, we'll start with verses 12 through 14. Uh, see here again. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called of the Olives or Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, being a journey of a Sabbath day, uh, a Sabbath day away. And uh, when they came out, or sorry, when they came in, they entered into the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthias, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. These all, with one accord, were devoted to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So you got this, uh, this coming back into Jerusalem uh, to wait for the Spirit, just as Jesus told them to do, right? Wait in Jerusalem, uh, and you will be my witnesses. So just briefly, uh, in, in a few weeks I'll be able to give you a real picture, but for now it's still a, still a drawing. Uh, but here's Jerusalem, the temple, right? Mount of Olives up here. Uh, a Sabbath day journey away is actually a pretty technical designation. Uh, it comes from uh, interesting exegesis, you might say, of Exodus 16 and Numbers 35. So uh, in Exodus 16, it says, let no one go out of his place during that day. So his place, right? So how big is somebody's place? Well, to find out how big a place is, you go to Numbers 35. And Numbers 35 says, the pasture lands around the towns that you give the Levites will extend 2,000 cubits. So 2,000 cubits is about a kilometer. So on the Sabbath, you get to go about a kilometer, right? So 0.62 miles is it. And if you do the math, right, you got about a kilometer from here to somewhere in the city. So Sabbath day's journey away. Uh, and, uh, and the disciples were, interestingly, uh, continuing to keep the law, right? Uh, they're focused in Jerusalem. We're going to see them continue to uh, be involved with the temple, to worship in the temple. Uh, Paul himself will come back to Jerusalem all the way down in chapter 20. Uh, they still have this uh, interaction with and connection with the temple in Jerusalem uh, as the place where God is, uh, is gathering his people and sending them out. Uh, so that just a, an interesting note here that it's not like, oh, Jesus has ascended. And now we're just going to chuck out the Old Testament and all the stuff that went with it. Right? They're continuing to be uh, faithful to the word, faithful to the law. Uh, and as we go, uh, go through the book of Acts, they're going to continue to try to understand the law in light of the coming of Jesus. Right? So when does it no longer become a matter or an issue of how far you walk on the Sabbath? More important, and Acts doesn't talk about that, a more important question is, when does it become not an issue about what you eat? Or who you hang out with? Or who can be part of the people of God? Or whether or not you get circumcised? Right? These are all issues that will come up in the book of Acts and come out throughout the, the, the rest of the New Testament. Right? So they're, they're continuing to be good, pious, observant Jews following the word, and then they start to understand that word in light of uh, the good news of Christ, the gospel. And what does that mean for them? And especially what does that mean for the Gentiles? Right? But it is, it is rather fascinating that they didn't just sort of, well, Jesus has ascended, and now we're going to open up, uh, you know, uh, Emmanuel Lutheran Church across from Israel, across from Jerusalem, because God is with us, right? Emmanuel, God is with us and not with you. Right. Sorry, I so, said... Bad Lutheran joke. Um, uh, they continued uh, in and amongst Jerusalem, and they spread the gospel there, uh, continuing to observe the law. Now, the list uh, of the apostles is uh, pretty straightforward. It's the same list we have in Luke chapter 6, although with some slight reordering. Uh, you got Simon, who he named Peter in Luke 6. Here, he's just called Peter. So the, the nickname stuck, and he's just, you know, that's what he's going to be from here on out. Uh, uh, Andrew and John and James. Notice it's slightly reordered there. Uh, and then the rest of the names go through. Matthias, Matthew, Thomas, uh, Simon the Zealot. Uh, uh, zealot, just a brief note there. Uh, the word does not occur, zealot, uh, in reference to a sort of quasi political movement until the 60s A.D., uh, uh, the time of Jerusalem, although there's certainly people involved in that. Um, but it is an interesting you know, designation that, that he's at least interested in some kind of, uh, and I hesitate to use a word because they're so loaded today, but, but some kind of, uh, I'll just say, not liking the Romans. How's that, uh, not liking the Romans? Uh, You've got uh, Judas, son of James, is the last guy. And, of course, the change from Luke 6 is uh, Judas Iscariot, uh, who became a traitor in Luke 6. And, of course, now he's dropped off the list uh, at the end here in Acts chapter 1. The fact that he's called a traitor is picked up, as we see in the description of Judas, in the next few uh, verses here. So, uh, no surprises, it's the same group that uh, uh, we had all the way throughout the gospel, and this will become important when it's time to choose the new apostle to replace uh, Judas, those who had been with Jesus from the beginning, uh, from the baptism of John. Now I'm going I'm to bring this up here uh, because it's really kind of a theme throughout this section, uh, this, this uh, question of what is an apostle. What is an apostle, right? Um, I think we're, we're used to thinking of apostles as, uh, well, what, what do you think of when you think of an apostle? What are some ideas that come to mind? Oh, that's because you know Greek, bud. All right, oh, sorry, i got to get my microphone out. I'm gonna bang around a second here. All right, I'll just put it in front of bud because he has all the questions. So, Apostle, what do, you, what do you generally think of?
1: Inner circle
0: of Jesus. Okay, inner circle of Jesus, really tight-knit group, okay? Very precisely defined, 12 significantly. All right, what else? Leaders. Leaders, yeah, that's a big one, right? The Apostles are up here, and everybody else is, you know, a notch down, right? Because they're big, important, right?
1: Well, not, not because I knew the Greek, but it, in, the, uh, I think it was the book of Mark, didn't he only use that term one time? One time. when Jesus sent them out to do miracles.
0: Exactly, when he sent them out to do miracles. So Bud is anticipating where we're going, uh, and so I'll just give you the slide. All right. <laughs> so uh, uh, I know you got this lecture from Dr. Vels, but I'll repeat it uh, uh, just to keep his uh, legacy alive here. Uh, In Greek, we also have this in English and other languages too, but especially in Greek, uh, you have uh, nouns based on verbs that are, you might say, uh, encapsulating a sentence in which the verb is active. So that's a, a strange way to say it, but the verb apostello, to send, right, Apostolos is a noun based on that verb apostelo, to send. And when you have a sentence with the verb send in it, you have a subject of the verb, right? So somebody sends, right? And somebody gets sent. And they're, of course, sent to somebody. And they're sent for a reason. They're not just sent for a random reason, but they're sent to do something or to say something. So you know, kind of smashed into the word apostolos is, you know, sort of like if you have a, your, uh, your computer and you click on the word and you get a bigger definition, uh, you click on apostolos and you have to kind of pack in this whole sentence of a sender, somebody who is sent, the message or purpose that they are sent for, and the people or group that they are sent to. So in classical Greek, apostolos is used quite a bit uh, to designate uh, an envoy of some kind or what we might call an ambassador. You know, you're the ambassador to, you know, Nicaragua, whatever it's going to be, right? And you're given a specific uh, purpose. Uh, it's a specific individual, right? You give your, uh, your uh, letters of uh, uh, introduction because you're the guy, right? So... We need to keep this in mind that, that especially early in the New Testament and even here in the book of Acts, the primary uh, focus of this word apostolos, apostle, is not uh, they're the big guys and everybody else is underneath them. That's not the focus. The focus is these are the guys who are sent by Jesus to various places, Jerusalem, Judea, ends of the earth. To speak what? The gospel, right? You will be witnesses of me, right? Here in uh, verse 20 to 25, witnesses of the resurrection, okay? So the apostles are not there to sort of, you know, sit in the CEO chair and tell people what to do. Their purpose is to speak the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, right? Uh, to go out to speak that news. You see this actually unpacked in various ways uh, in the New Testament. Let me give you a couple of examples. If you turn to Galatians chapter 1, you see how uh, sometimes the New Testament authors will fill in the blanks of, uh, you know, the sender, who is sent, who they're sent to, what's the purpose. So right away in in chapter 1 of verse 1, when Paul writes to Galatia, and there's this question about the uh, content of the gospel in Galatia and who is the one who is supposed to be speaking it, notice how Paul introduces himself, right? Paul, Paul, apostle, right? And he couldn't just stop there. He could have just said, I'm an apostle, and now you have to listen to me. That's not what he does, though, right? He says, Paul, an apostle, and let me explain now who did the sending. So not from people, nor through a person, rather through Jesus Christ and God the Father, the one who raised him from the dead. So notice Paul says, look, I'm not an apostle. I wasn't sent out by just anybody. You know, maybe he has the church in Antioch in mind, which sent him out in Acts chapter 13. Uh, maybe he's distancing himself from other people when he says, you know, a person didn't send me. But notice, who did the sending? Jesus Christ and God the Father, the one who raised him from the dead, which, which sort of encapsulates the message right there as well. Right? So Paul is writing this letter uh, not merely because he you know, has a business card that says apostle on it, right? but because he was sent by Jesus to speak this gospel message. And that's what he lays out then in verses 6 through 10. All right? Uh, I am astonished that so quickly you are turning aside from the one who called you by the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another one, except that some are stirring you up and wishing to uh, pervert or distort the gospel of Christ. However, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you apart from what we preach to you, let him be anathema. Notice the content focus here. Uh, Verse 9, as I said before, uh, also now again, I am saying, if someone preaches to you apart from what you receive, let him be anathema. So the content is critical here, right? The message is critical. He's not there to speak anything other than the gospel, right? And who is he sent to? Well, here specifically, if you look at verse, uh, uh, where are we at? Verse 2 to the churches of Galatia. Right? So his, his apostleship, in a sense, is very specific right, to the churches of Galatia. Right? He picks up on this theme again, uh, in first, actually in several places, but a good example is 1 Timothy 2. Uh, For this I was appointed a preacher and apostle. Notice those are kind of connected. Preacher and apostle. Uh, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. So who is he sent to here? He's sent to the Gentiles. What is he sent to do? Well he's a preacher, he's an apostle, he's a teacher. Kind of take your pick. Right? Uh, and what is the content? Faith and truth. Uh, who sent him, he was appointed. Okay. So uh, the apostles here again, it's not it's not simply, you know, we've got to fill the seats around the you know uh, board or something like this, the board table. But they're sent by Jesus to speak the gospel uh, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Uh, there are other examples, by the way, of people who are called apostles in the New Testament, but aren't the 12 plus Paul. Uh, so in Philippians 2, we saw this, uh, I don't know, a few months ago. Uh, Paul writing about, member Epaphroditus Who had delivered the gift for Paul uh, while he was in prison? Paul writes, "I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow fellow soldier, soldier, and your the Greek here says apostle and minister to my need." Now, your translations translate it messenger because they tend to use the word apostle for the twelve, but it's the same Greek word, (laughs) and it's the same point. Notice Epaphroditus is, is sent by the church in Philippi to Paul to deliver the gift, right? you got a sender, you got somebody who is sent, you got a purpose, and somebody he is sent to. That's what an apostle is. So, in that sense, apostle is not a lifetime appointment. You don't get tenure if you're an apostle. Well, tenure is out the window anyway. <laughs> right, Jerry? <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it, it could be a specific uh, activity, even a very short-term thing like Epaphroditus. Uh, uh, or it could be a broader thing, like we see with the twelve throughout the book of Acts. See the same thing in Second Corinthians 8. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are apostles of the churches. Now again, your translation says messengers, uh, the glory of Christ. But again, lots of people might be sent by different groups uh, to specific people for specific purposes. Even Jesus, interestingly, is called an apostle in Hebrews chapter 3. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. He's apostle in that he's sent by the Father, his message is the confession and who is he sent to he sent to the world right to us so he's an apostle in that sense Uh, so again uh, 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 the focus of the apostolic work is not really in the person or the power or the office it's in their activity it's who sends them what are they sent to speak who are they sent to speak it to and, and that's their work, right? That's their job description. Uh, uh, that's what they're sent to do. And uh, 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 I think it's helpful to keep that focus on uh, the sentness of the apostle. It's not, it's not a, you know, here's your job, sit at your desk and, you know, reply to email or something. That, that's not what an apostle does. An apostle goes out for a purpose, uh, to represent somebody who sends him, to bring that message. Uh, so, any, any other? Yeah, Paul. So when we confess the apostolic
1: church, the Good. one holy Christian and
0: apostolic yeah. church, we're
1: confessing a sent church, a mission
0: church. We are, yeah. A sent church that has a very specific message. And that's I'll, I'll slide into that. But yeah, one holy Christian and apostolic church, right. Uh, uh, based on the apostles and, and apostolic teaching, and carrying that message out, right? Uh, one Holy Christian and Apostolic Church. Yeah. Now, oh, but...
1: Uh, I, I just, we'll be running into it later, where Paul and Barnabas were sent by the church in... Uh, yeah. Where the Antioch, Antioch,
0: yeah, Acts 13, uh, right.
1: ...to go out and, and preach the word, yet here Paul... Is kind of claiming something beyond
0: that. Yeah, he gets to because he saw there isn't Jesus. Right. Yeah. 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 And that's, that's what he does, in fact, if you're still in Galatians, uh, uh, verse 11, uh, or no, verse 12. Well, 11 is a good one. For I make known to you, brothers, the gospel uh, which was gospeled by me, or the gospel which was preached by me, that it is not according to a person, Right. Uh, for neither did I re- uh, uh, receive it from a person, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation about Jesus Christ. Okay. So, yeah, his, his focus here is, in Galatians, is, I didn't make this up. Nobody made this up. This is, this is Jesus' message. It's his, it's his uh, message. Uh, so he's very intentionally, actually, taking the focus off himself, and putting it on the message. So it's kind of interesting because he starts in, in verse, sorry, I'm teaching Galatians now, but give me a second. Uh, he starts in verse one by calling himself Apostolos, but he ends in verse 12 by talking about who? Jesus Christ, right? Because that's what the apostle does. And he, and he deliberately takes the, fo- so it's so sort of like, well, these other guys think they're big stuff, these people who came in and preached a different gospel. I could, I could be apostle, right, but my apostleship is not from a person, and my apostleship is about jesus christ that 's the focus of it that 's the content of this message. so in a sense, he almost uh, i don 't want to say undermines the word apostle, but he takes the focus off the the title apostle and puts it on Jesus in that message it 's very intentional i mean paul 's very very gifted uh, uh, but we're reading Acts right now, not Paul, so we'll, we'll, we'll go back to that. Now, this, uh, this does, by the time we get to the second century, a little maybe historical lesson here, by the time we get to the second century, the word apostle in, in the early church fathers uh, does become used only for the 12, uh, plus Paul, so the 13, but 12 plus Paul. Uh, in, in a very specific way. And Paul, this gets to your question about apostolic, or point about apostolic. So in the second century, you had uh, 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 teachers come in with, with, well, different gospels. You have it already in Galatia. But uh, heretics coming in, Marcion, who was essentially a Gnostic, uh, Valentinus, who was also essentially a Gnostic, but took it in a different way. Uh, and Irenaeus says, look, You guys uh, claim to be reading the same Bible, right? You're you're reading the same text, but you're doing something completely different. And and he points to, they point to the consistency of the message. And I think it's a helpful consistency. Notice how he says this. Uh, Here he's talking about Valentinus in particular, but he says, This guy has new teachings, quote, Which neither the prophets announced, nor the Lord taught, nor the apostles delivered. So notice there's one message, uh, but it was announced by the prophets, right? And we've seen this throughout the book of Acts where the, where the prophets say what's going to happen, right? Then Jesus teaches it, right? The word made flesh speaks it by his own authority. And then what did the apostles do with it? Made his deliver it, right? It's all done. Prophets told us what it was going to be. Jesus demonstrated it, and now my job is to simply hand it off. Hand it off, hand it off, hand it off. So there's a consistency. So how do you know if somebody is a genuine apostle? Well, you check with the prophets, you check with Jesus. right? Uh, apostle is given to speak only what he's authorized to speak. An apostle, a genuine apostle, uh, can only speak from the Lord, from the scriptures. right? Good lesson there for pastors. Right, great. Right, you just speak uh, what the prophets spoke, what the Lord taught. that's the apostolic word. Right. Now, Luther picks up on this, and this is just kind of a fun one. Luther, you can make you know, all kinds of fun stuff up, but uh, um, you know, what is an apostle? Now, this is a little bit of an overstatement, uh, but Luther gets to do that because he's Luther um, <laughs> But he's making a point, I think it's a healthy point here. He's, now this is his preface to the book of James, which as you probably know, he wasn't a big fan of. Uh, because uh, it has, uh, if you read it in a sort of surface way, it seems to contradict justification by faith. Now, it doesn't actually, and maybe we could do James sometime, but, but uh, here's what, what uh, Luther says about James. Now it is the office of a true apostle to preach of the passion and resurrection and office of Christ and to lay the foundation for faith in him, as Christ says himself in John 15, you shall bear witness to me. So notice Luther's definition of what's the apostle's job. The passion, resurrection, office, work of Christ, and lay the foundation of faith in him. That's what the apostle does, right? Uh... Then here he talks about James. All the genuine sacred books agree in this, that all of them preach and inculcate, uh, the German here is treiben, to urge or to push uh, Christ. And that is, uh, sorry, and that is uh, the true test by which to judge all books, when we see whether or not they urge Christ. For all the scriptures show us Christ. Romans 3, and St. Paul will know nothing but Christ, 1 Corinthians 2, know nothing but Christ and him crucified. Whatever does not teach Christ is not apostolic, even though St. Peter or St. Paul does the teaching. Again, whatever preaches Christ would be apostolic, even if Judas, Annas, Pilate, and Herod were doing it. (laughs) Now, okay, uh, Maybe he pushes it a little bit too far, but you see the point, right? The apostle's job is to speak Christ and only Christ. And when he steps out from that, it doesn't matter what he says, right? So this line here, uh, whatever does not teach Christ is not apostolic, even if Peter or Paul does it, right? When when Paul is giving it how great the cubs are or whatever, right, Uh, uh, doesn't matter. It's not apostolic word. When he's talking about Christ, it's apostolic word. It's not the person that's important. It's the message that's important. Uh, this last line, again, it's a bit of an overstatement. Judas, Annas, Pilate, Herod. Uh, okay, uh, we'll, we'll forgive him for that. But he's, he's, he's overemphasizing to make a point. It's the message that matters. That's what's apostolic. If you were in Galatians 1, Paul himself makes that point. Even yeah. if we are an angel from heaven... Should preach a gospel to you contrary to the one that we preach, let him be a curse. Yep. It's always trying to draw him back to that, centering on Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's the true message of the gospel. Yep. And, and, and to be fair, the kind of conditional sentence that he uses here, the Greek, is sort of like, well, I can't use this line anymore. When I, when I teach Greek, I used to say this would be sort of like saying, if the Cubs win the World Series, you know. But now, <laughs> now, it doesn't work, right? So so, so the, the kind of condition here is something like, you know, if the cow jumps over the moon, you know, that's kind of what he's saying. If I preach a different gospel, it's sort of like saying, yeah, if, you know, if, no, I'm not going to make something up because I'll say something, you know. But, but it's, yeah, he, he says that, but his point is, all I'm going to say is what's Christ. And that's why you need to listen to what I'm saying. Yeah, but, but that is true. I mean, uh, if we are an angel from heaven, you know, he's kind of overstatement for effect. Uh, Paul gets to do it. Luther gets to do it. You know, we don't get to do it. Yeah, but
1: the uh, question of our Catholic brethren and the apostolic succession uh, kind yeah. of gets mixed in here because, uh, and, and I wonder how that sits with this Irenaeus quote that you yeah.
0: did. Yeah, good. I tell you what, let's hold off on that, because I'm going to come back to it at the end when they pick Matthias and, okay. and all that kind of stuff. But that's a very good question, because uh, um, especially in a second century context where you got all kinds of people saying all kinds of things, uh, uh, who you learned the teaching from was a pretty important point. And, and Marcion coming along and saying, oh, you guys are all wrong. Uh, reading this Bible thing. It means something completely different from what everybody else said, right? Or Valentina, same thing. Oh, yeah, this is what Paul really means. And, and you know, one thing we, we tell students is uh, if you come up with an interpretation nobody's ever had before, you're probably wrong, you know, except for Jim Veltz, and he's wrong like 98% of the time. But, uh, 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 so there is, there is uh, uh, something to that, right? In consistency, in uh, uh, passing on what we have learned. Passing on what we have learned. Uh, the, the danger comes in when you're passing on things that you didn't learn, right? And it becomes an end in itself rather than a focus on the message. Yeah. Quickly, where, where is this found? Is it's in, the- in his uh, German uh, New Testament. Uh, where he uh, he has a preface before each book and kind of gives a summary of the contents and, and what to find in it yeah uh, uh, yeah uh, you can uh, just google uh, Luther preface to James yeah, I mean he calls it the Epistle of straw all this kind of stuff we don 't it's again it 's kind of an overstatement but but he gets the point right uh, it, uh, it urges Christ um, urges Christ that 's a well i 'll stop there for a second Anything else on Apostles for now? More than I was expecting to do. Uh, Verse 14. Uh, It's an easy verse to skip over, uh, but there's a couple words here that we'll see again and again and again throughout the book of Acts, where Luke is laying a foundation for how the church uh, is gathered and and carries itself in in the world. So verse 14. Uh, "...these all, with one accord, were devoted to prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers." Now that word, well, well two things, devoted to prayer. Uh, you're going to see this in Acts chapter 2, after the day of Pentecost. And anytime they have anything they have to figure out, they are going to, guess what, devote themselves to prayer. Right. The point being that they are not making decisions based on their own thinking, their own self-interest. Everything they're doing is, is, uh, is based on the guidance of the Spirit as he leads them uh, uh, in these days. Uh, so this prayer of submission, of asking for God's will to be done, of giving his wisdom, uh, is a constant refrain through the book of Acts. Uh, they don't do anything without praying. Uh, probably, a, probably a lesson there, right? <laughs> probably a lesson there. But we're going to see this again. Devoted to prayer, uh, holding fast to prayer—it's uh, it's a constant refrain. The other uh, key word here is uh, is of one accord, thamadon. And again, we're going to see this word uh, several times. You see here in one fourteen. Uh, 4.24 they lifted their voices together of one accord verse five they were all of one accord in Sarmons portico my favorite one is Acts 15 where you have the council in Jerusalem and this argument about whether the gentiles can actually be brought into the church without circumcision and you can tell there's I mean they're bringing people from everywhere they're stacking the you know the elections and everything (laughs) There's big arguments. That's what they're doing. And and at the end, you know, James stands up and says, here's what the Holy Spirit said in the Old Testament. And they're like, okay, we're done. And at the end, uh, we are all of one accord, right? We didn't disagree when we started, but after discussing together, praying, uh, listening to the word of God, now we are of one accord, right? The unity of the church is a huge theme throughout the Book of Acts. That they're doing this uh, together. Uh, it's a theme that we see throughout the, the New Testament. You know, the, the body of Christ in First Corinthians 12. Uh, Ephesians uses language of a, a holy temple uh, being built up uh, together, built on the foundation which is Christ. Uh, uh, this, this thinking the same way, acting the same way, uh, being of one mind is a tremendously important theme throughout Acts. Uh, you don't have apostles going off their own way. They are, they're constantly seeking to uh, think the same way. We saw this in Philippians, right? Uh, uh, having the same mind, uh, uh, froneo, the verb there, thinking the same way. Uh, it's not just a toss off line again. Uh, uh, right at the beginning, they are praying and they are thinking the same thing. They are of one accord. They are united. Right? Uh, hugely important theme throughout the book of Acts. Of course, it's the prayer of the church always, right? There's one holy Christian and apostolic church, right? Actually, the Greek there is katholike, universal, is, is the word there. There's one universal and apostolic church. There's not 300,000 denominations or whatever we have in the U.S., I love it. What's the number, Paul? How many denominations in the U.S.? I don't know. Everybody's their own denomination, right? Uh, There's one. One church. Right? We just, we're human beings, so we don't like that.
1: (laughs) I think we've got about 30 Lutherans. You had a chart that some uh, graduate student put together showing all the Lutheran churches.
0: Yeah, well, I'll leave that for, for Bodhi to figure out. I, I stop in about the year 300, so. All right. Uh, just a couple other notes here. Uh, interestingly, the, uh, you got the 11 at this point. Uh, verse 14, you've got the addition of uh, Mary. Uh, the women and Mary, his mother and his brothers. Uh, So you've got this picked up from the end of the Passion narrative when we find out that the women were kind of following along the whole time, and they show up in Jerusalem, right? They're the ones who carry the spices to the tomb. You've got Mary, his mother, uh, who uh, doesn't actually play a very big role in Luke at all. After the the birth uh, and and the the, uh, uh, temple episode when Jesus is 12 years old, uh, there's just a kind of a passing reference Uh, to Mary Uh, but here she is uh, and then his brothers and again there's debate about who are his brothers but the the most natural way to take it is you know brothers if you got a mother and you have the same mother you're generally brothers you know in this context it seems pretty clear that brothers are brothers right Uh, I guess technically half brothers you know for Jesus but but uh, uh, brothers or brothers. Uh, first time we get introduced to them, by the way, and later on we're going to meet James, who does become very significant for the church in Jerusalem. James, a brother of Jesus, so it's probably why, probably why Luke uh, introduces him here, although not by name. Uh, he is here uh, at the beginning, uh, and Luke sets that up for us uh, for later on. All right, good. So 12 to 14, we got 11, one short. Uh, but they're all together. Any other comments on those couple of verses? All right. Then we get to Judas. I guess I'm a verse early. And this is a, a kind of an interesting section here. Uh, it's actually a little hard to translate because it's not. There's some parentheses and things like that. But but let's walk through this. Uh, Verse 15, Uh, and in those days, Peter standing up in the midst of the brothers said, uh, oh, and by the way, this is kind of a parenthetical comment now, it's it's not, I don't know how your translation does it, but he says, and the crowd of names or crowd of people at that place was about 120, end parentheses, okay, and then he speaks in verse 16, Uh, men, brothers, uh, it was necessary that which the Holy Spirit spoke earlier through the mouth of David concerning Judas who became a guide to those who seized Jesus that he was numbered among us and he received a portion of this service or ministry. So it kind of starts a sentence and then stops. Now we get another parentheses. Uh, verse 18. So this one having acquired a field from the wages of this wickedness and going headlong or even headfirst, uh, he burst at the middle and all his guts poured out. That's what it says. Uh, And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with the result that the field was called, in its own language, akaldama, that is, blood field. Uh, So let me stop there a second. Uh, Verses 18 and 19, uh, it's, it's again, grammatically a little awkward. It's kind of a parenthetical comment inserted by Luke in the middle of Peter's speech. So Peter's speech is really, uh, he was numbered among us, he received a portion of this service in verse 17. For it is written in the book of Psalms, and it picks up with verse 20. Uh, but Luke is just kind of cluing us in to, you know, oh, by the way, what happened to Judas? All right. Do your translation have parentheses around that? Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's, it's kind of strange. Uh, I wanna say strange, but it's not that the smoothest Greek, uh, but he's, um, uh, I guess this is the place to put it. Uh, Might have fit better after verse 13, but, you know, I'm not Luke, so it's not up to me. Anyway... Um, uh, a couple things to point out here before we talk about Judas. Um, first, this all happened according to the scriptures. He's going to quote uh, in a second here Psalm 69 and Psalm 109, uh, that this uh, betrayal, this uh, wandering off of Judas was not a mistake, it wasn't an accident. It's the same theme we see in the Synoptic Gospels where, where Jesus knows this is going to happen. Uh, we see it already, uh, Judas, who would betray him in Luke chapter 6. Uh, so first point is that this was also foretold by Scripture, that one of the 12 would betray him. Uh, so again, a reminder that the Scriptures are being fulfilled even in this uh, episode of, uh, of, of the act of Judas. Uh, second, There's, uh, uh, you might say, some preaching of the law at this point. And it's a theme, again, that we'll see a few times in the book of Acts, that those who are part of the way, to use that phrase that Acts uses, the way, the church, and who who go astray from that, come under judgment. Uh, Sometimes pretty harsh judgment. Uh, Harsher than we Americans like to think. So, for example, Ananias and Sapphira when they lie about the, uh, uh, the gift that they gave to the church, are struck dead, right? Because Peter says, you lied to the Holy Spirit. Uh, so this theme of judgment does crop up in the book of Acts. You claim to be a part of this body, but you're not actually of one mind. And, and when you veer off from that, you know, there are, well, consequences, right? And Judas is, uh, you might say, the first example of that. Uh, in this situation uh, the third point of bringing this up for really and the main point for Luke here in the book of Acts is that there has to be 12 uh, you can't run around with 11 because the 12 are the continuation of Israel we see this in Luke 22 uh, Jesus says when he's in the upper room there uh, when he's telling them that they're all going to fall away right uh, you are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you as my Father assigned to me a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So this theme of twelve is uh, continued. And, and what's important is not so much the who, although there are certain qualifications, uh, but the That. That there are twelve. That this group is are the descendants of Abraham, right? Uh, uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob uh, is the God of this group of people, who number twelve, and and represent that, speak that message of promise uh, that was spoken to Abraham, and is now made clear uh, in Christ. So uh, I know the the fun stuff is you know. You know, if somebody's going to make a movie of the book of Acts, you probably spend like 10 minutes on this scene because you've got blood and guts, right? You know, it's, it's stuff people get excited about. Uh, but for Luke, again, it's just a—it's like an aside. It's not the focus. The focus is God said it was going to happen. There's judgment for those who are disobedient to the word. And the church is going to continue despite what people do in their ignorance or in their, in their sin. Those are the things that Luke is emphasizing. Uh, uh, You know, uh, this all happens, you know, pretty quickly. The description is pretty graphic. Uh, In the early church uh, fathers, everybody liked to try to depict this scene. You know, one one guy talks about him uh, buying a a field with a house on it, and he was on his roof, and then he had remorse, and he threw himself off. And that's why his stomach burst open in the middle, and, guts went everywhere, and somebody had to clean it up, so it got a reputation kind of thing, you know. Um, but again, it's, it's just a uh, it's a side comment to explain what happened to Judas, but that's not the focus. The focus is on the spirit continuing uh, through the word in the church. Uh, just to acknowledge, you know, Matthew has a description of uh, uh, Judas's end as well. Uh, he describes it also, kind of parenthetically, uh, after the betrayal, uh, which you know, is a, little, a bit different, to be fair, although there are similar themes. You've got a, uh, a kind of a gruesome death. You've got this field of blood thing. Um, you know, it, it can fit together, although neither are trying to give a whole detailed account. It's really just explaining, again, uh, uh, what happens to those who have fallen from the word. Now, more important is the quotation from the Scriptures. We have just got a couple of minutes here. Uh, verse 20 and 21. All right. Notice in verse 24, it is written. The gar there is explanatory. So why did all this stuff have to happen with, uh, with Judas? For it is written in the book of the Psalms, uh, let his residence become deserted and let there be no dwellers in it. Uh, residence, uh, place, uh, 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 literally it's, uh, uh, well, it's any kind of field. You could rent it, you could own it, and uh here, uh, uh, but it's, there's a piece of land attached to it. That's the point uh, of, of explaining Judas and his end, that there is a field involved, right? It's fulfillment of the scriptures here let his uh, uh, place be deserted, and let there be no dwellers in it. Okay. Nobody wants to live in blood field, right? Uh, and, uh, more importantly, Psalm 109, let another take his place of oversight, is literally the Hebrew there, uh, place of oversight. Now, what do these verses have to do with uh, Judas and Jesus? Well, it's always helpful to take a step back And uh, let's take a a quick look at the two psalms. So Psalm sixty-nine. You know, it's important to note that uh, the apostles here are not simply pulling a random verse and and uh, you know trying to make some sense of it. If you look at the whole context, you see that many of the features fit with what's going on around that situation. So look especially, uh, well, all the way back, um, uh, look at verse 16 of Psalm 69. Answer me, O Lord, out of the goodness of your love and your great mercy, turn to me. Do not hide your face from your servant. Answer me quickly, for I am in distress, or I am in trouble. Right? When you hear servant, turn your face away, what does that sort of sound like? Right? Servant on the cross, right? Right? Go down to verse 21, or 20. Scorn has broken my heart and has left me helpless. I looked for sympathy, but there was none. Uh, For comforters, but I found none. They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. Who does that sound like? Sounds like Jesus. What's the very next section? Now he's talking about the enemies. May the table set before them, the enemies, become a snare. May it become retribution and a trap. May their eyes be darkened. Pour out your wrath on them. Let your fierce anger overtake them. Then verse 25, May their place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in their tents, for they persecute those you wound and talk about the pain of those you hurt. So what's going on here? It's, it's, it's talking about Jesus, his suffering and death. Who are those who brought that death to happen? Well, it's Judas. And what happens to those who are enemies of God? Well, their place is deserted, right? So Judas is just fulfilling what happens to those who rise up against God's chosen one, right? Uh, So he fulfills the scripture in that sense. And similarly with Psalm 109, I don't have time to go into the details, but you read it in context, and it's those who have been called, set apart to be warriors uh, for Yahweh to carry his work forward, and when one goes down, another has to pick up and carry on. So let another take his place of oversight. The, the oversight here not being, you know, hey, I got the top CEO job, but I've got a responsibility, uh, a care, uh, a, uh, a situation that I need to be responsible for. Right. So uh, they're reading their circumstances here in light of the promises of the Old Testament. Uh, they see themselves as fulfilling the promises of God uh, caring for his people. So briefly, verse 21. Uh, Therefore, it is necessary of the men who accompanied us in the entire time in which the Lord Jesus came in and went out from us, so uh, his, his birth and uh, ascension. Verse 22, beginning from the baptism of John until the day of his raising up from us, one of these, again, kind of a long sentence, uh, to become witnesses with us of his resurrection. So there's that witness theme again. What are they testifying to? It's his resurrection. It's his victory over sin and death. And there's, there's sort of qualifications here. So, who fits the category? Verse 23, they put forward, or even proposed to, uh, Joseph, the one called Barsabbas, which probably simply means the guy born on the Sabbath. So it's, you know, uh, Joseph born on Sunday, well, Saturday in this case, uh, who is called Justus. And notice he has a Latin name. Justus is a Latin name. Uh, So he's Jewish, born on the Sabbath, but he also has a Latin name. So, you know, maybe a good guy who would go speak to the Gentiles. Uh, uh, Anyway, uh, and then Matthias. Verse 24. After praying, and don't skip over that too quickly, right? Pray, 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 pray. After praying, uh, they said... uh, This is a great great participle. Uh, You, Lord, are a heart-knower of all people. There's a verb for that, of knowing hearts. Uh, Show which one of these two you chose. And notice the verb tense there. Show which one of these two you chose. Not you will choose, but you chose. He already knows, right? Now just fill us in. Help us to understand what you have already determined. Uh, the one in control is Jesus. And now the apostles just have to figure out, you know, what he's already decided. Uh, the, one uh, of these two, you chose to take this place of, and get this word now, this place of service. Right? This place of service and apostleship. Uh from which Judas turned aside into his own place. Notice that theme again. Judas was of one mind with us, and then he turned aside to his own place. He's out of the picture. Now we need to fulfill the number of the 12. Uh, Verse 26, they threw lots. Yes, indeed, the Romans had dice. I got a picture. And they look exactly like ours. There's some Roman dice. Uh, And uh, they threw lots for them, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was chosen with the eleven apostles. right? So again the theme of uh, this is not some kind of uh, political decision. This is not a decision made by the individuals of the church or even the church collectively. Uh, it is a decision made by the Lord. And it's the task of the church simply to discern what the Lord has already decided for them to do uh, to carry forth his work. Uh, how do you pick a pastor? At the seminary, we do it this way. Not, not really. You know, throw a dart at the at the board, right, Greg? Uh, uh, don't have time to talk about that. But uh, yeah, it's just about the right spot. Yeah, it's Kansas. You know, getting close. But uh, uh, yeah, a lot I wish I could talk about. I'm out of time. Sorry, I got to stop. Uh, next week, we'll let Dr. Oswald pick up with. Uh, Well, you get to to roll on into Pentecost here pretty quick. So good timing. All right, we'll see you guys in a couple, three weeks. Please keep us in your prayers uh, for safe travel. And uh, it should be fun. Thanks. This has been a Bible study from St. Paul Lutheran Church in De Pere. 1028 our time at KFUO.